0: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the ECE Quality Ireland podcast. I'm Celine Govran.
1: And I'm Paula Walsh. And today we have a wonderful guest um, who has come on to talk to us about mindfulness-based practice in early childhood education. And our guest is a friend of mine, Lisa Flanagan. Um, Hi, Lisa, how are you? I'm good, Paula.
2: Thank you so much for having me here today. It's great.
1: Good, good. I know we've been trying to get you on for a while. So it's brilliant to get you on here. But um, so really myself and Celine don't really know that much about mindfulness um, okay. and certainly not in relation to how it can apply sort of an early childhood education setting. Because I think it's a really interesting and new sort of area of contemporary practice to do, you know, in early childhood education. So maybe if you could maybe just start off by just telling us what mindfulness actually is.
2: Yeah, perfect. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's it's very contemporary. It's kind of like the hot topic at the moment as well, talking about mindfulness and well-being. So I suppose when people start thinking of mindfulness, they may think of yoga, meditation, deep breathing, sitting down like a Buddha with your legs crossed, you know, all these different things. And it is all those things and more. That's kind of how I describe it to people as well. Um, so really, it's kind of some of the kind of common definitions are about, you know, knowing what's happening, while it's happening um without prejudice or being fully present and aware of your moment and what you're doing um and for me looking at all these different definitions for me what I kind of portray mindfulness is is paying attention to right here and now with an attitude of loving kindness and when I'm talking about loving kindness I'm talking about loving kindness for myself As well is really important so we're always talking about loving kindness for other people but for myself so you know if I'm trying to be mindful or maybe I'm doing a breathing activity or maybe I'm trying to be more calm and more responsive sometimes a lot of us we start thinking of other things we think of things of the past we think of things of the future we think of oh my god we have to do this we have to do this so much so instead of kind of going oh my god I'm not being mindful right now being cross with myself I'm learning to kind of go that's okay that's okay that I feel that way, but now I'm just gonna try and bring myself back to right now. And that's really for me the essence of mindfulness is that, you know, that intention, that awareness, and then having that non judgmental attitude as well.
1: Mm. And you know, obviously you get a lot personally out of mindfulness. It's something you practice in your in your personal life. But at the moment, you're a PhD student in educational technology, and you're researching the area of mindful based practice in early childhood education. So, how do you come from something that's an interest and something that you find, you know, that you get a lot out personally, and how did you sort of journey into that becoming PhD research area?
2: Yeah, no, that's that's a great question, and it's definitely been a journey for sure. Um, I suppose it started maybe around eight years ago when I was working as an early years education early years manager and like a lot of people working in the sector was very stressed very anxious lots of stuff going on and just wasn't able to cope with that and find kind of good coping strategies and I found that the stress and anxiety that I was feeling at work was now trickling into my home life and my personal life so um I made the decision to go see a psychologist just to have a chat, kind of like have a supervision, have a chat. And I remember at the time, this stranger, this man sitting in front of me telling me to focus on my breath. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I am paying to go see somebody who's telling me to focus on my breath. Is this actually for real? So at the start, I was very hesitant. But then I suppose, again, going back to changing my attitude, I said, okay. look, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to give this 100 percent and see, will this help me with my anxiety? And it absolutely did. Was it a quick fix? Absolutely not. And that's not what it's supposed to be. It's a way of being. It's part of your practice. It kind of gives you the tools and strategies for yourself to kind of calm yourself down. Or when you're starting to feel things are kind of getting anxious and stressed by using these strategies. And from there. I started bringing it into my home life. So it was a personal practice. And I thought, well, if I'm doing this, everybody in the family is going to have to do this too to really make this work. And so my husband started practicing mindfulness and my children, you know, a little bit of resistance as well, but kind of like just showing them, giving them ideas and could definitely see the difference in my own children. I think that's where my research really kind of started um, to form because I could see how it was positively impacting my own children and how they respond to situations. So they were becoming less reactive. They were able to kind of calm things down, focus on their breath or, you know, um, just better response strategies rather than reacting straight away. So that's where I could see, okay, I can see this now in other people. It's not just me. And then COVID-19 hit the big pandemic and when we closed for the service for the few months, when we reopened after three months, the difference in the children, they presenting with higher anxiety levels, you know, issues with, around struggling with social interactions, you know, regulating their emotions. So then I started thinking, okay, you know, could mindfulness be used as a tool to support children and the educators? Because we could see that the educators were very, very stressed, anxiety. And I suppose that's where... My first study um, started. Then looking at that, looking at how mindfulness could help, possibly help enhance the well-being of educators and children.
0: Um, I'm 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 sitting here kind of a bit blown away by the whole thing because I'm a novice, and um, I like to think that I know a bit about the topic, but really that's talk, and I don't know an awful lot. And I'm definitely one of those people who is always on a treadmill. I'm like the hamster and I'm always going and my head okay. is just constantly full. So my question is, you know, you said that you you introduced it to your husband and your children, you know, that everybody in your household was going to practice it. But I suppose at a very basic level for me, what does yeah. that actually look like? What does somebody who is practicing mindfulness, what does it look like, in you know, in reality?
2: reality yeah so really it's about this kind of like formal and informal practices so you have the formal practices which are you know the meditations you know there's a lot of these apps that you can download as well you know and you're breathing and you can listen to people talking and they're telling you about you you know your breathing doing different meditations uh body scans different things like that they're that very formal but you can also do it um quite easily and informally very okay. simple one that my husband loves to do and has only done this morning again and I was laughing at him uh doing it and delighted um boiling the kettle so we're very busy you go into the kitchen you're running around doing new things and you boil the kettle and you go off to do a lot of other other jobs and tasks that you have to do so instead just take a moment he boils the kettle he's listening to it, the water boiling just taking that couple of minutes just to be here and now and be present and that just calms your system down it calms your nervous system down so it's kind of little things like that it could be in the shower, you know, the water. Okay. I feel the water on my body. I feel it on my hair. I feel it on my hands. I feel it on my body. It's just taking that moment. So it doesn't have to be, you have to be an expert at meditation, you know, to be able to, to be able to do mindfulness or practice mindfulness with my children. It's even a lot of gratitude. So looking at loving kindness for each other and things and just thinking, okay, you know, if they've had a bad day, okay, we're talking about that and listening to them about that, not trying to fix it, not trying to go in. Okay. So who did what? It's like, okay, I see that you're feeling that way. I understand that you're feeling that way rather than asking the questions and then getting them to look at, okay, tell me one thing that went well today, or tell me one thing that made you smile today, or tell me one thing that you're happy about and just being able to kind of like focus back there. So that's just kind of like sample things that you could that you can do at home you could do with adults with children even I find with students doing the gratitude exercises they absolutely love them doing those activities because it just allows you just stop for a moment and just be present and just you know have that kind of like loving kindness attitude
0: yeah and you know it's so interesting because I'm also um, a post-primary religious um, education teacher and we're studying at the moment prayer and the concept of prayer and who prays and why they might pray and funnily enough at the end of Monday's class, I took them over to the sacred space for 15 minutes of meditation. And I used one of those apps on the phone and they loved it and they all chilled out. Um, And it's just really interesting to listen to you talk because in in schools nowadays, of course, we are very diverse and multi-denominational and of no faith and all the rest of it. And you have to cater for everybody. So it's just really interesting that, I'm listening to, to, to you as you speak and I'm thinking that's that's the secular approach I'm trying to explain to the students in the class because I say to them you know about formal and informal prayer and you've mentioned formal and informal meditation yeah. and you know and it's not it's not unsimilar it's it you know in how we in in the practice actually I'm beginning to see how there's real you know he's boiling the kettle versus I do a quick bless myself when I'm in the moment, and I'm thinking about somebody who has asked me for a prayer. Do you know what I mean? And for the yeah. students in my class who don't have faith, that kind of pause is a moment for them to pause and to be in the moment. And so, I, I your your explanation has solidified for me um, what I thought were rambling thoughts, and actually, I'm more, I'm probably more there than I think I am in my practice
2: absolutely and even from what you're saying there it's just even having that awareness you know and having that intention to be doing what you're doing um uh, you know and the great thing about it about mindfulness it can be for everybody it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter your background ability culture anything
1: Mm -hmm. it's
2: absolutely for everybody because you find your own path with it
1: yeah you're dead right and it just says excuse me selena's talking there because i'm the total opposite then i have no faith I would be an atheist so but yes I would be very mindful of excuse me taking those moments and but I wouldn't have called them mindfulness like it's funny because literally before we came on here I was standing beside my kettle (laughs) waiting for it to boil and it's something like that that I actively thought to myself will I run back in there now and sit down at the desk and start doing a few bits and I said no I'll just stand here and wait for the kettle to boil that's such a coincidence. I literally did that like ten minutes before we came on, but um, or even I've done just it. to, you know, I try to take time. Mightn't be every day, but to go out for a walk and I listen to a podcast, or mm. even just going somewhere and not bringing your phone with you so you can't be disturbed or little things like that, you know. So I totally get what you're saying, Celine. It's like the secular version of just because my mother would be quite religious, but you know, I think. I can see what she gets out of it, and I think you know mm-hmm. that maybe just time to take a step back and take consider things or whatever. And I think that yeah, you're right that mindfulness maybe can fill fill that sort of gap for people, the secular gap. But um, what I'm really interested to know about, just to move on from that, is um, you mentioned during COVID, and you thought, oh, I see the children, and I think a lot of educators will will um. Relate to that, the change they saw in children and educators, you know, um after COVID coming back into the classroom and that anxiety that was there, and also the sort of couple of missed years of of interactions and, and development and, and stuff like that. Um what, how did you start to introduce mindfulness-based practice in yeah. a group of three and four-year-olds? And what does that look like? Because I can't imagine
0: scary. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um yeah, it was it was it was definitely very interesting, but you'd be surprised how resilient and how open children, young children can be to something as well, because you know, we could use a lot of music, so it'll be a lot of bells as well that we'd use. So, you know, even talking to the children and quite like we're going to sit down together. Um, you know that we do some breathing there's lots of different things you can do with children like even the hot chocolate breath they absolutely love it so pretending you've a cup of hot chocolate in your hand you know and um, you know smelling the hot chocolate so breathing in and then breathing out to cool it down like they absolutely love that and giving them these different activities that they can do like butterfly breath there's so much that you can do with children that makes it interesting for them that they'd be interested in and even you know even at the start I suppose allocating the time to do these activities and then using the bell maybe at the start and at the end so they know then you know the time is the time is up so that's kind of starting with a lot of the formal practices that you can do with children but they're so open to it because it's something so new and it's very relaxing as well, for the children that are more active, we found as well, especially after COVID, them wanting being outside more as well in their pods. So using things like the senses, OK, like everybody stopping for a minute and, OK, what can we hear? So let's concentrate on what we can hear right now and giving them a couple of seconds and then changing it then to sight. OK, let's name all the things we can see right now. It could be the grass, the birds, the trees, your friends. That's all being mindfulness because they're they're being in the moment. And they're very open to that. Um, then the creative side as well, the the activities, you know, making, um, you know, we've done family trees and gratitude trees. So all the people that we're grateful for. And it doesn't have to be people. It could be things and TV shows and absolutely everything, their favorite cereal, food, whatever it is, and putting it up visually there for them on the wall. And going back to it, I think, is really important that it's not just a one off activity, that it's something that you're constantly doing, that it's becomes part of your practice and part of the children's practice. So you'd revisit that maybe on the Friday. They might have added to the wall all week and then you revisit on the Friday. Oh, who was thankful for this person? Who's grateful for this? And and getting them getting them used to that practice. But so there definitely a lot
1: of um, you know, giving them the language around it as well.
2: Absolutely. And I think it goes back to, I suppose, we're always talking about, especially when it comes to regulating emotions and the idea, I suppose, what mindless young children is calming things down for them as well and, you know, helping them with emotional regulation. So we need to talk about their feelings. So, you know, when the child, especially after COVID, we saw an increase definitely in, you know, behavior outbursts instead of saying like, what's wrong with you or you know, the worst thing, calm down, you know, yourself. If somebody tells me, calm down, I'm not very calm, you know, (laughs) instead of just saying, you know, I see that you're upset and I can see that. And I can see that you're angry. I can see this. And giving them those, that emotional literacy is so important as well because then they will start. And what we've seen in the center that I was working in that when we introduced mindfulness and we were talking about our feelings and emotions, they then were going to the mindfulness resources So even making a dice, a little dice that you can get, you know, a a nice soft spongy dice that you can get and putting all different, like little types of different breathing exercises on it. And then they'd roll the dice and they'd pick one and then they do that. And then the next child. just, it's just a lovely way to do it. And it makes it fun for them as well, which is really important. And they're starting to learn then about their emotions and how to calm things down. And only recently I was in a service that, that was, um, introducing mindfulness and, um, I was visiting a student and a two and a half year old came up and told me to take a deep breath. And I was just like, this is amazing, (laughs) you know, so.
0: And then it just, um, it links then to, I'm thinking about Paula, about um, the podcast we recorded a while back on pedagogy. And I'm thinking this is what people mean when they speak about mindful pedagogy. Absolutely. I used to pretend I knew what they meant, but... Now I think I have a better understanding. I used to go, yeah but I think I might have a better understanding of it now it, it's that idea that our, our we don't have to be on the treadmill and everything doesn't have to be a race through the morning or through the day these are the tasks I have planned and we're going to do them or we haven't achieved today it's the idea of just saying well maybe today is not the day maybe we're not in the mood or the children aren't feeling the vibe and we're just going to slow it all down and I wonder if mindfulness happens more effectively and debunk me if I'm away with the fairies here but would you say that outdoors has a lot to do with how mindful we are or is it more successful in the outdoors um there
2: like there hasn't really been actually much research on that on that topic and it's something that has interested me as well I think children naturally you know they do the majority of children love outdoors and exploring so it is a great opportunity definitely to enhance that as well but Mm. then can come with distractions so it's 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 kind of looking at that but kind of interesting what you're saying about you know pedagogy and pedagogical practice I think the the biggest fear of mine is that people will educators will start using mindfulness as okay it's mindfulness half hour let's go let's do this yeah, And that kind of takes away from it, though. That's a great starting point. A hundred percent try it out. And, you know, you, you have to do some training yourself around it as well to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. But really, it should be your pedagogical practice. It should be in everything you're doing. It should be from your interactions from the start of the day. It should be in your conversations. It should be all educators, all children, that really whole school approach, really to make a difference for everybody rather than just okay, let's just do it now and now let's put it away.
1: Yeah. And so what bad. you it said, said there improve. reminds yeah. me, oh, sorry, Celine, yeah. what you said there reminds me of, um, you know, the Lundy model of participation. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was a, Laura Lundy wrote uh, a number of years after the initial model about, you know, is it sort of tokenistic in the way to try and, you know, that thing about forcing it, you know, but then on the flip side, as you just mentioned, sometimes you have to you have to introduce it for it to be, become an embedded and natural part of your pedagogical practice, do you know? So like you say, sometimes Absolutely. you have to... It. yeah. Well,
2: it's the needed there to spark interest.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I totally get what you're saying about it not being, you know, okay, mindfulness half hour. Like I, I had a flashback when you said that of um, when I was in primary school and the teachers would say, okay, everyone heads on the table and we'd all put our heads down. And I, th- I don't know whether she just needed a 10 minute break from us all or what, or whether she was giving us a mindful moment. I don't know. But like that, yeah, it can't be, it has to be embedded, I think, doesn't it? Or, or at least endeavor for it to become embedded.
0: And I suppose it must be, you know, I suppose it's the kind of thing that there will be some services out there who are just naturally mindful because the practitioners are naturally mindful because people, I suppose, just are naturally. Whereas I think I have to make a conscious decision. I have to make an effort. And so therefore, if I have to make an effort with my personal mindfulness, it would make sense that I have to make an effort with my practice because I look at my I've got kind of, you know, 10 educators Um, who work with me, and definitely I can pinpoint one, and I've spoken to her about this, about her, um, she's definitely mindful, she's calm, she doesn't rush the children to do anything, and she definitely has in her, you know, in her classroom, the children I can see are different. And I say this all the time, you know, and there's definitely a different vibe for want of it with her children. Does that make sense with her children, but with her classroom and I can see it in her, whereas my other educators would be more like me. We're always next thing, next thing, next thing. I look at her and I think, oh, I need to take on some of her vibe. And it's just the way she is. It's beautiful, actually.
2: And it just shows there how the children, it goes back to kind of like our explanatory style, so how we respond to situations. So, you know, even in the classroom, if the the paint falls all over the floor, you know, are we going to go, oh, oops, you know? Or are we going to go, oh, my God, oh, my God, I clean it up. Yeah. Children at these young ages, are, are, you know, they're influenced by our own expansionary styles. So we really need to be mindful of that as well. So as you're saying about this educator, her having that calm response is having the positive effect on the young children. And, you know, all the neuroscience is there. All the evidence is there as well about mindfulness, how, you know, it really is can make such a difference for for people. Um you know, how they deal with situations, how they manage pain, how they relate to pain, Um, yeah. you know, emotional regulation, behavior, you know, everything. It's and overall happiness. Isn't that what we want Absolutely. children to be? Isn't that what we want for ourselves? You know, it yeah. cultivates happiness. Why would we not want that for our children?
0: I'm just going back to the, you know, the way years ago you were always told that a watched kettle never boils. Mm. Now I'm telling you watch that kettle? I'm going to, and you know, it's such a, it's such an easy one. I know that I never stand at the kettle. That's why I have to boil it three or four times before I make a cup of tea because I never actually stand at the kettle, but it's such a lovely, easy one. Thank your husband for us, Lisa, to have just shared that. If, if, if we just take start there.
2: Absolutely.
0: To watch your kettle and, you know, and hopefully it will take a little bit longer to boil because it will give us that little bit longer, to just be yeah. and listen. I'm going, And it's not just to stand there when the kettle's boiling. I'm going to try to make myself listen to the noise of the water.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I was with a group of students last week and we were talking about mobile phones. And I was saying, okay, you were watching a movie last week. You were watching, they were talking about different TV programs. And I said, hands up the amount of, um, and these are final year undergrad students. Mm-hmm. Hands up how many of you, when you were watching something, were on your phone every single person had their hand up yeah but you can be mindfully watching tv you can be mindfully but if you are watching tv and you have your laptop open and there's this noise the ping of the emails your your phone is going it, that causes that scattered attention yeah. so you're not really fully present and you're also not really fully engaged with any one activity so it's just being able to do that as well so the students ha- have had a task this week <laughs> to do that. And it's been really interesting, the feedback already from them. So that
1: it's, is, it's that's, hard that's yeah, it's and it's so true. We see it, we all see it in our homes and, you know, mm-hmm. sitting in front of the TV or whatever um, with your phone in your hand. But um, so I know we only have a few more minutes left. So what I'd like to ask you is, for anybody listening who then is thinking, I'd like to maybe think about couple of simple ways to introduce this into my practice um you know how would you advise them to sort of what would be a couple of simple things that they could if they could you know use or bring into their practice if they wanted to start mindfulness perfect
2: thanks Paula. i think the most important thing is if you are teaching somebody to drive you'd want to be able to drive yourself you wouldn't teach somebody to drive you know if you couldn't do it yourself mm-hmm. and i think same has to be for mindfulness for to really really be effective for yourself as an educator and for the children is to engage in the practice yourself and wholeheartedly engage with the practice and you know that can be some informal informal stuff you know there is is you know there is some training available you know, that's a discussion for another day. But, you know, doing some training and giving the time to it to understand why you're doing it yourself, that you can feel the benefits of it, because then there will be buy in from people when they see the benefits. That's why I, I love it so much, because I'm so passionate about it. So I've seen the benefits for myself and my family, and I can see it now for children and educators and students and You know, I'm trying to spread it to as many people as possible. So start with yourself with practice. It can be with simple breathing exercises. It can be with some of those apps as well, you know, are really, really handy to do. Using your senses, you know, when you're starting to feel anxious as an educator, we all do. We've all felt it, you know, using your senses, just kind of, you know, in your head, looking around five things that you can see, you know, five things you can hear, five things you can touch, five things you can smell, five things you can taste very very simple using the senses that you can do yourself to bring yourself back to the present moment and just calms everything down and then that can be transferred to the children as well of any age can do that you know what i mean so kind of like simple activities like that are just really really helpful mindful walking as you were saying paula as well like going out for a walk and you know sometimes without the mobile phone is really important as well just to really be in the present moment and listening to the sounds around us and, you know, really being observing of what we're seeing, hmm. you know, so that you don't have the head down looking at the phone. So it can be simple, very, very simple things like that to start off. Um, but I would say when looking to, you know, introduce mindfulness to children, you know, to really, you know, sign up for some workshops, you know, really get the experience of it. So you have the training behind you so that you feel confident and competent to do it with the children as well. Because I think from a lot of my research, that's can be a big issue barrier for educators feeling that they're confident and competent enough wow. to do yeah. mindfulness with, with children.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent.
1: But even, I think, you know, as we mentioned earlier on, just that, you know, the slow sort of pedagogy or, you know, yes, we've yes. also discussed before even, you know, and um the process of things as opposed to the product, the rushing around, yes. the you know, um just taking the time to, you know, do What is happening, or to be in the moment and to just do take what's happening? Another thing that you reminded me of is um, I used to manage an outdoor setting, and we had this great big cabin out the back. The children would go and get changed into their wet gear every day in their and their welly boots, but we used to be in a more traditional setting. Um, and when we moved into this setting, the educators used to get so stressed about getting the kids into the wetsuits and the until one day I had to sort of say to them, just let them take as long as it takes like this is a learning yep. process and you know there's no point in everyone getting all stressed out they're, they're you know they're gaining something from this just yes. as long as it takes you know and um would you say that that kind of just slow sort of process in things Absolutely. is
2: important it's just slowing things down even we know ourselves we slow things down you see more And we're missing so much by being so fast, expectations all the time, keep going, having to do this. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do an activity with the children at this time? Why? Because the timetable says so. You know, we need to slow things down. We need to meet educators. We need to meet children where they're at. And that's really important. Um, And it goes back to just, you know, having loving kindness for yourself and for others and just you know, when things get out of control, which they always will, that's okay. And just bringing yourself back rather than beating yourself up about it. If something didn't go to plan, that's okay. I'm still here. Everything is fine. I'm still here and just bringing it back to you. because all we have is right now. So we just have to that's make the most true. of it and make the best of it yeah. for everybody. Brilliant.
1: That's
0: been great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah,
1: it was really good. Thanks, Lisa, Thanks so much. Um, you know, and if anybody wants to find out more about your research, they'll find you. Where will they find out about you?
2: Um, so I am on LinkedIn as well. So on Jaree Flanagan, that they can find me, and I can send you details as well, Paul. Yeah, we
0: can put we can put the link in in, in yeah. with our bio. It's been it's been a great conversation. Um, I think it has given us all food for thought, really, which is the point absolutely um, yeah and 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 um i've definitely taken things away that i'm going to i think bring with me personally but also in my practice so i just want to say a huge thank you lisa it's been um it's been a real learner thank you yeah really insightful
1: thanks, thanks. so much
0: we'll never look no, at for for again, me. again.
2: <laughs> exactly
0: boilers. go boil those kettles.